Hello everybody, welcome to the Boxing Times podcast. In this episode, it is a live Q&A session that we hosted on Instagram. We try and do these once a week, so if you're wanting to get involved, um, there's no real uh, schedule or anything. Uh, I kind of do it ad hoc, uh, but make sure you check out either my page, Wilson underscore Boxing Science, or the Boxing Science Instagram page for these live Q&As. If you're wanting to ask any questions, try and get through as many as I can and it's a fantastic way to provide the content that you know the boxing science audience wants. In this episode I'm joined by my colleague Dr Alan Ruddock. We talk about a range of different subjects from supplement use in boxing to picking the right equipment for, for testing to training load management and so much more. It's about an hour long but each topic lasts around about five minutes uh, including the intro topic of uh, what would a, what chocolate would we rather have between a Kit Kat Chunky and a Crunchy. I think that topic went on a little bit too long and a little bit random, but I'm sure that you'll enjoy the debate between myself and Alan. Uh, if you have any questions on any of the topics, uh, please fire them over on our socials, either on my Instagram at Wilson underscore Boxing Science, the Boxing Science Instagram page, or send me a, a direct email to my personal email address, dannywilson at boxingscience.co.uk. Cheers, guys. Hope you enjoyed the live Q&A. Yes, Al. How's it going? Yeah, all good. Thanks, yourself? Very good, thank you. Mate, I've just been I'm made aware of a, a very important debate. What's that? In the semi-final of the World Cup of Chocolate Bars, Crunchy is playing off against Kit Kat Chunky. Crunchy or Kit Kat Chunky? Yeah. Mm. Can you eat both? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's got it's got to be a, it's got to be a Crunchy. Yes, but of course it is. I would, but I would, but I would have like I've had more Kit Kat chunkies in my life than crunchies. I think like crunchies are more of a treat. Crunchies more of a Christmas thing for me. Yeah, me, me and uh, me and Robin got got some chocolate coming back the other day from uh, Clumber Park. We had uh, either Boost chocolate bar or a Lion bar. Which one would you pick? If I'm in a sweet mood, like a re- I, I feel like I've got really sweet um, taste buds, I'll go with Boost. Mm. Whereas if I'm feeling more of a savoury mood, I'll go Lion. Savour. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I, know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know what I mean? Beast, um, is, beast. Boost is very, very sugary. Yeah. You know, when I was talking with uh, Dan Lawrence uh, either this morning or, or yesterday, I'm not sure, merging to one but we're talking about like being 16 17 being on weight gainer going in and doing like bodybuilding training and just being able to eat what you want i remember being like 17 or 18 years old um i used to have boost bars like there were no tomorrow and uh monster monster energy drinks oh yeah i used to have them because uh obviously when i worked at ted baker long shifts just stood there Mostly hungover from being out on on Saturday night or what, just standing counting down the hours at lunch. I needed like energy boost, so like used to go boost monster, oh. have that sh- sugar rush. I don't know how I do it to myself. Like I'd feel sick if I did it now. Uh, it's abuse. I suppose that's what you do. <laughs> yeah, but I think I, I think as well. I think it's spurring. It's having that knowledge as well. Actually knowing what it is and and. You know, when when you don't know that there's that much sugar in something, you kind of like just just blind to it, aren't you? Yeah, I used to have after after the gym, a flapjack, and a pint of milk. That was yeah. that was as, as much too, as it got in terms of weight gain. That's not too bad. I remember, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember just getting my first weight gain and thinking that right, that's that's just going to get me absolutely massive. I'm just used to do it all the time yeah just got we yeah. have just got a relevant question through best thing yeah. to eat or drink for recovery not boosts yeah not boosts not ch- not chocolate or confectionery but when you're talking about milk milk is a great recovery um, it is. Aid. 
uh, they did uh, research into like a really posh recovery drink naming no names and actual cereal and they showed that the cereal and milk had better effect on, on recovery so we're not doing any supplement companies any any good here but having cereal and milk is great to have after like high intensity sessions yeah milk milk is a, an effective rehydration solution mm. as well a drink as well um, yeah. because it has electrolytes in there because because it has um, protein in there obviously has a sugar as well it yeah. seems that there's um, a few studies that have looked at fluid retention after mm. after exercise and comparing different types of drink and mm. milk milk is up there yeah. with oral rehydration solutions yeah yeah zoo's pretty good as well Make yeah. sure, you've got to be, make sure that's a really intense session after that yeah you have yeah you yeah. burn a few calories I'm, I'm liking how we transitioned into that that was that was the most casual transition into an actual serious uh q a uh, not just talking about chocolate bars um we could do a live all about chocolate bars but we're, we're going to be a little bit more I serious think- and talk about some sports science I think we could actually do the commentary, live commentary on the World Cup of chocolate bars. Yeah. Where, where is this World Cup? Uh, it's just on Twitter. Oh, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I thought like an actual event. I thought you were going to talk to me about like, um, like Bake Off or something when you start saying semi-finals. Like, don't ask me about anything like that. I think it's uh, the Bake Off final tonight. Oh, is it? I think it's on now. We're missing it. Can you believe it? Yeah. I'm yeah. um, absolutely good. Jordan Gill won't be on. Jordan Gill's a big, uh, a big um, thing of fan, um, Bake Off fan. Uh, let's get into some of the questions then. If anybody's watching, um, well, 44 that are watching now and you're wanting to ask a question, um, instead of putting it in the comment box, put it in the Q&A box because then everybody can see it. And can you see it as well, Al? I can see uh, a question that's just come up uh, from GB1 underscore. Yeah, so will you be running your workshop soon? Hopefully. Let's talk a little bit about like the workshops. Um, hopefully in 2021, we will be running it. Um, we started running it um, about three, three years ago, three-year anniversary, weren't it, the Ultimate yeah. Coaching for Combat Sports. Uh, it's, it, I, like getting back into coaching, you're getting back into teaching as as well. That that's one of the key things that we're we're missing at boxing science at the moment because we're you know we're banging out the content, we're working with athletes, working with athletes is the main thing, but actually getting out there and and doing some educational courses that you know we absolutely lo- love doing them. Yeah, we do. We we absolutely love. Wherever we put them on, they're always great out there. And the thing yeah. that makes it is the the people who attend the course, coaches, um, the personal trainers, the S&C coaches, the, the sports scientists, you know, whoever, whoever they are, that it's like a, a community. And yeah. everyone bonds really quickly. And yeah. because, because all the attendees have um, mutual interests, they all click immediately. And because the days are so intense, there's so much going on, there's, there's loads of practical, there's loads of um, opportunities to get hands-on and to ask questions and to do stuff. And then there's the science behind it as well. Because the days really jam-packed with such good information and content, everyone helps each other out, everyone works with each other, whether it's in the physical sessions or helps each other with um, stories that they've uh, can tell and use and get context of particular situations and the, the the people everyone that attends the course are absolutely fantastic so if you've attended a course before thank you very much you make it a million times better than it could be i loved it that first workshop where like the standout kind of boxing people that have been engaged with boxing science for a while that have been waiting for the workshop and they all came up from all over the world really mm-hmm. um we had Slovenia, andorra germany uh france as well and uh i remember like getting them all together to like work out who's traveled the furthest 
and then I had to apologise about our Yorkshire accents for the <laughs> people people could recognise it. But the main thing that I like doing on the course is creating solutions. This is something that we're going to be talk about in this next question um, because we obviously come from a, a sports science background. We're in the lab. We've got access to some fantastic equipment. But the main thing that we do on the courses is work out ways that we can apply the training methods or the coaches can apply the boxing science methods into their training environments. And this question from Rio Brooks is, uh, what equipment is required to follow along with your 10-week uh, strength and conditioning program? Um, it's just kind of general, general weights. Uh, I think there's trap bar, deadlifts in there. Uh, we've got barbells needed, uh, weight disc, and some dumbbells. There's nothing, anything out of the ordinary. Most kind of commercial gyms have got that now. Um, let's talk about kind of the challenges of like not being able to get into the gym at the moment, running on, uh, running outdoors. What kind of your main tips for like making sure that they're following something like red zone running sessions um, outdoors without access to a treadmill, without access to um, the curve? <laughs> the devil's hamster wheel. Yeah. Um... Well, the first thing to, to say, I get a lot of messages through asking, can these sessions be done outdoors or mm. can these sessions be done on the what bike? And yeah, yeah abs absolutely. Um, so some of the sessions, we've got the, the speed which you would normally have on the treadmill converted to distance targets to make it a little bit easier to, to transfer over um, to an outdoor running situation. We've also got some what bike sessions with um, power targets or what, what's per kilo targets. So you, it can be transferred over in that way. But the main way in which you can transfer anything that's done on the treadmill to outdoors is to use a like an effort scale. So in scientific terms, we use a scale called uh, rating of perceived exertion. So normally we would use a scale from, from 6 to 20 and it's got verbal anchors so you know whether you're working hard or very hard or near maximal or you can simply use a, a zero, 1 to 10 scale where there's anchors as well. So what we want for each interval is it to be around about a 9 out of 10 effort for each one so and that can be nine out of ten no matter if you're doing a 30 second interval or a six minute interval the efforts are scaled across just that you won't be able to run as fast over six minutes as you can over 30 seconds but you should try and put in a nine out of ten effort over that duration to to push you in into the red zone so that's the main thing that that i would say that you need to should try and understand when you want to move the indoor sessions outdoors, but also, you know, just make sure you're doing it in a safe place running um, at the moment in the UK where, where it's dark, dark and cold. Mm. Like we've got big, I showed you the light that I was wearing the, the other mm. night. So make sure you're visible. Just, just keep safe. Um, you know, doing doing it on a football pitch or or a rugby pitch and doing shuttles is is absolutely fine and perfect. Mm. It's a bit boggy um, at the moment, so probably not being able to run as fast. But I think those are the those are the main tips I would I would say. Yeah, it's just to make sure that it's measurable and it creates intent. I think that the hardest thing to do when you are doing intervals outside is to maintain that intensity to make sure that you're hitting the red zone you can end up like thinking about something else totally different and that will affect your pace so then it affects that heart rate creeping up into into that red zone uh, a yeah. perfect way to you know the most simplest way that i've been like um putting sessions together for for the boxers outdoors is doing the 1k challenge that we did at the start of lockdown where it's one kilometer on do it as fast as you can time it and then two minutes off and then try and beat that again. Uh, and then that gives you a good kind of pacing strategy uh, for, for your other sessions. And then go on to different sessions and then revisit it. And then that's a good measure of, of your fitness. Mm. Uh, got a question from um, Asad Gull. Uh, what good app 
uh, to give boxers? What is a good app to give boxers uh, live video feedback? Um, let's just talk about like kind of apps and, and technology in, in general. Like we say, we, we've got access to amazing kit normally, uh, but due to the pandemic, we've had to kind of adapt our methods. But there are very good apps that we can use in terms of like video feedback. Um, just doing general videos would be good. Um, but using Coach's Eye, uh, I've, I've done before. So it can, you can do video tutorials over it. Um, you can make highlights of, of, and zoom in on different things. Um, audio feedback on that as well. I haven't really done that. I haven't seen a boxing coach do that in particular. But I've seen um, golf coaches do it. I've done it on Olympic lifts as well. Um, let's talk about kind of the, the main pieces of, of technology that we can have on our phones. Al. Um, a lot mm. of people ask about heart rate monitors. Uh, we normally go for the polar beat, don't we? Yeah, we normally. So, so in, t in terms of heart rate monitors, um, the most um, accessible forms are Bluetooth or some phones have ANT plus now. So Bluetooth heart rate monitors. So um, your Wahoo tickers, ticker X's, uh, Polar H10s and OH1s, which are the wristband, uh, uh, armband versions. And then you can choose, you can really choose what app you want to use with that. We like Polar Beat, um, mm. but you can also use the Wahoo app as well. Mm. Um, Strava. Uh, yeah. Oh no, they don't support heart rate anymore. They just support speed, I think. Yeah. Um, and then there are quite a few other apps as well that enable you to track speed through the phone's GPS, as well as track yeah. heart rate as well. Yeah. Um, but Polar Beat, Polar Beat is is good because then you can push that data straight to the cloud onto Polar Flow, and so then you've got a training history, and you can look at your. Your training uh, calendar, mm. see what you've done, see what time you're spending in the red zone, look at your speed, see what routes you've done, et cetera, et cetera. And you can push that to other places as well. So if you're like me and you're like chasing down Strava, King of the Mountains and course records, mm. all that data can get pushed into into Strava as well. Yeah. So some going away from kind of conditioning, that one of the main apps that I've started using during lockdown is my jump because I had access to uh and access to gym aware obviously I could end up getting a push band and use that app um but using my jump has been fantastic to um assess counter movement jump height squat jump height drop jump uh, create some intent on the on the trap bar jumps as well without having a um without having like the gym aware uh, and it's it's a valid and reliable test it's only a ten pounds to get it onto your phone, uh, yeah. whereas like obviously that them pieces of equipment are thousands of pounds. And if you haven't got access to that kind of funding for your training, you know my jump is definitely a fantastic substitute. There's loads more different apps and and pieces of equipment coming out. As a kind of as sports scientist, uh, former technician, um, <laughs> picking out equipment and stuff, you'll have seen so many kind of gimmicks come out in the past um huh. what are the key things to look out for if people come across an app or come across a piece of kit uh we've, we've been discussing we've been discussing about um like obviously um the pnoe analytics and stuff like that um what are the what are the things that we need to look out for when we're purchasing a piece of kit I was talking to the master students about this today, and I, I can't remember how I got onto it. You know what I'm like? I go off on one yeah. and, and end up end up at the other side of. I end, normally end up in space, but yeah. um, I oh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're talking about um, the theory of falsification, Popper's falsification theory, and talking about pseudoscience and science. And there's a lot of pseudoscience out there. But how do we really know whether something's pseudoscience or whether something um, is science? Well, in that respect, you would have the formal 
scientific assessment. So, for example, my jump has been validated against force platforms in terms of its calculation of mm-hmm. uh, or estimation of, of jump height. Um, and I think it's been validated against an opto jump as well. Mm. And that's been that's been through scientific peer review. So some bona fide scientists have created the app. They have then done their due diligence, assessed and compared the recordings that you're getting from that app against gold standard scientific equipment. Mm. And then their research has then been pushed to a scientific journal. And then that has been reviewed by other scientists and then finally published. So that is one way of determining whether something is science or something is non-science or, or nonsense is, is to look for that evidence. But quite often what we'll see in strength and conditioning is equipment and kit and even styles and, 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 and ways of training where scientists can't do the research and, and can't get that validation done quicker than people take it on board so you have to be looking for that scientific research and and seeing whether or not it has been validated and there are different ways in which you can look for validity so an easy way is well if you know who the top people are in your field what kit are they using that's that's one way of Mm. um of understanding whether um something has good validity um and then you know another way is looking at the, the those scientific journals um and the probably the the best the best thing is whether or not you're going to use that piece of equipment to inform mm. your practice because if you look at a gps monitor i don't know how many variables gps system will spit out at you hundreds yeah. so you've got to choose how are you going to use that data to inform your practice? And if that data is not informing your practice sufficiently, why are you collecting it and paying attention to it in the first place? So that's yeah. a, an, another thing is that, well, what actually is that new shiny gadget giving you that's going to help you inform your practice? Mm. So that's another way of, of, of self-validating a piece of equipment. Yeah. You know, Sometimes people can... Bandwagon. Yeah, sometimes people can test things to, you know, get caught up in kind of the hype and testing for testing's sake um, or taking data for, for, for its sake because, you know, there's a million and one things that we can actually track um, with our boxes, but we limit it to what actually has a massive impact. You know, we've talked about punch trackers before. Um, you know, we've found with, with punch trackers, the validity and reliability of them might be questionable, but even if the if the validity and reliability of these punch trackers were absolutely perfect, how would we actually use that data? Yeah, probably probably we wouldn't we wouldn't use it as as well as what we use uh, duration and RPE and heart rate and everything like that. So. These are, these are things that you've got to take into consideration when you're getting a new piece of kit, when you're using an app, when you're trying to, you know, cover as much data as, as possible. What is the most impactful? And if it's not adding to anything, then you're kind of wasting your time, um, you know, your precious time, really, with, with the athlete. Uh, yep. Right. We've got one from Lerone Richards. Sniper the boss up is not thinking about moving up weight. He hasn't told us yet. Uh, <laughs> if a boxer was moving up in weight, uh, what program would you use to, to help this? Um, from a strength point of view, uh, we've talked about it on the Science Behind Heavyweights podcast and trying to put on functional uh, muscle mass. So um, the best ways in, in doing this is, is building up that volume, but making sure that the intensity stays with it. Uh, so we do like things like cluster sets. So that's like, if we're going to do a set of six or set of eight, we cut that up into two or three blocks. So we'll do a set of three, three reps on trap bar deadlift or squat, 
20 seconds rest and then we go again so the the intensity remains uh there's lots of other stuff like blood flow restriction or occlusion training uh pre-fatigued training as well make sure that we're targeting uh increases in muscular hypertrophy and the fast switch muscle fibers uh do you want to add something in terms of conditioning yeah, the, the, the guiding principles in terms of conditioning are, first of all, does the boxer have uh, adequate aerobic capacity? Usually they do because boxers that are lighter tend to have a higher aerobic capacity. So if that box is ticked, then we need to move on and look at something else. And we've talked to, like I say, we've talked about heavyweights and, and what kind of training we would implement for heavyweights and we look at trying to control um, acidosis using muscle buffer training, using um, repeated sprint training, sprint interval training to try and help the boxer maintain a, a high intensity efforts and high force production so that it complements the, the strength training. Okay, good stuff. So we've got a question from Thomas Mullen. Uh, how many times should amateur boxers run per week? Do you want to answer that one, Al? In terms of a red red zone running, yeah, uh, most of most of our amateurs do two two good red zone style runs a week, don't they? Uh, yeah. With us, possibly a third one, depending on the the time of the season. Um, but for the majority. You're looking at a minimum of two, maximum of three. Sometimes that, that third one might be more of a recovery run, depending on where you are in the season. Yeah. But qual uh, quality is important. Yeah. Again, that high quality. And as well, we amateur boxers have got a lot of other stresses to deal with, such as work, uh, school, college. Um, they've got uh, high amounts of competition. Um, they might be boxing two or three times in a month so you can't be like kind of overdoing it really um and then just making sure that you've got the time to do it like our boxers come in seven o'clock in the morning uh before work uh sometimes but then sometimes they can't get in that early so they've got to do the running after um after the boxing so then you'd be looking at something like uh minimum minimum effective dose i'll do want to explain a little bit about minimum effective dose yeah and, and not only after the boxing as well but after the strength training too on the mornings yeah. um yeah. so coming like you say coming in early mornings doing the strength work for an hour and afterwards uh getting beasted on the on the curves yeah. um <clears throat> but yeah we have to um we have to think about this concept called the minimum effective dose so what is that and this is not an easy question to answer but what is effectively the least we can get away with that gives us a meaningful adaptation? So the sessions that the amateurs do after strength training are generally condensed, apart from if we're doing some sprint interval training. They're normally around the same volume, but they're generally much more condensed in terms of their volume. But more often than not at a higher in intensity than the, the professionals, for example. Um, and we do it that way just because of all the, the other factors, the other constraints that they've got, like that you just mentioned, Danny. Um, mm. They've got all those different factors playing a part. And so what we don't want is to give them loads and loads of volume in terms of the, the running loads so that they can't recover properly. So then they can't box either in the evening or the day after, or they're going to work absolutely shattered and they're getting told off and just mm -hmm. starts a, a downward spiral to overreaching and then overtraining. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's definitely from a strength training perspective as well. Um, we're looking to try and get as much strength adaptation without creating that muscular hypertrophy or that fatigue. Um, I was listening back to the Boxing Science Summit that we did uh, last year which is now available on the podcast and I mentioned about knowing where strength sits within the whole jigsaw for the boxer and, and the hierarchy as well number one is sparring 
Number two is, is pad work or bag work and then technical work. Then you've got your conditioning and then you've got your strength. So if I'm looking to get somebody stronger, sometimes we'll be doing five times five back squat or deadlift, but what metabolic and neuromuscular cost does that have? And how does that affect the performance of the other, uh, at the, um, of the, all the other things that a boxer has to consider for them to be in fighting shape? We're not there to make them the best power lifters or Olympic lifters, looking for them to be the best possible athletes. Uh, I've just gone into the, the comment box. Guys, if you want to ask any questions, pop them into the question box using the question mark at the bottom of the screen, and then I can get your question up on the screen so then myself and Alan and everybody else can see what we're talking about. But I've just gone into the comment box to see whether there's any questions. And somebody's asked about creatine. Um, you know, what are, the, what are the benefits of creatine? Um, for boxing, a, for boxing. Uh, yeah so you know, bo boxing is high intensity intermittent uh impact sport so you, if you're a boxer you're required to produce repeated high intensity actions um large rates of, of force production um under significant fatigue and therefore requires high rates of energy production and also energy resynthesis so we'll just keep it to the concept of energy now. So creatine helps with the resynthesis uh, of energy and the, and the immediate um, energy sources that are required to, to power high-intensity activity. So in terms of um, those high-intensity performances or the high-intensity actions that you require as a boxer, creatine might help. What you do need to consider with creatine supplementation is the potential impact that it might have on water retention on hypertrophy uh, and therefore your weight as well so the dose of creatine that you might take might not be the same it might not be as much as um, just a general gym goer or you might want to time your use of creatine to use it in a phase of training camp where you're not too worried about your weight and making sure you're, you're, you're fighting weight just so that you can take that concern away and then you can, you can focus on utilizing that creatine for its intended purpose, which is to, to help assist those high intensity activities. Fantastic, I'm trying to get another question up. Lots of questions. I'm trying to read them. Is see my eyesight's going? Okay. So, uh, what are the top exercises for lower back pain, and what are the common factors for causing the pain? So, lower back pain is um, often related with either hip, hip flexor tightness, uh, lack of glute strength or glute activation, or lack of core strength or rotational mobility. And it's quite common that boxers have all four of them. Uh, so it's, it's, it's to, to try and reduce lower back pain, um, I'd, I'd say try and hit all four. Um, we do a mobility workout, um, well, mobility warm-up every single session. Uh, and the hit shoulder mobility, rotational mobility, uh, hip mobility and glute activation. We also try and target core strength um, every single strength training session. So definitely go and check it out uh, on the Boxing Science YouTube channel. If you put in uh, Boxing Science warm-up routine, uh, you'll get a warm-up routine that will take you around about five or 10 minutes to do. Do it before every single boxing strength or like your high intensity conditioning session. Hopefully you can uh, you know, try and prevent that lower back pain. Um, another thing that causes lower back pain, Al, is uh, increases in in training load. Um, mm. So what, and obviously with an athlete that is training as, as much as boxers, um, this is really important to try and control. Uh, what are your kind of main tips around controlling training load? 
first thing is just really basic. Just keep a training diary. Write down, write down the sessions that you've done, how long you've done them for. And then you can even attach to that a little rating out of 10. So how intense was that session? So you've got a little rating of intensity out of 10, 10 being the most intense. And then you've got your duration of the session. And if you multiply those together, you get something called um, session RPE, uh, which is a metric of, of training load. So you can actually compare training loads between sessions and look at how they're stacking up in the week. And mm. then if you do that over time, then you can get uh, an indication of total training load and see whether you're jumping up too much and perhaps doing too much in, in one session or too little or whether it's all pretty much the same all the way across. Because if, if training load is the same throughout a week and is for a prolonged period of time and there's not variation in that load, so you're not doing some hard sessions, you're not mixing that with low sessions, and either it's all in the middle, which is not very an effective training strategy anyway, then that can perhaps lead to overtraining, um, overreaching and overtraining if training is too monotonous. So it's a good way of making sure there's variation in your training and making sure your training is progressed appropriately to limit excessive increases in um and increase the risk of injury because we know spikes in training load are a, a good predictor of injury risk. So it's always a good idea to just keep a basic training diary. You perhaps don't even need to get any more technical than that. Um, I know that's that you know that's what we do. We just keep they'll keep it simple. We just yeah. keep those simple simple metrics and just try and track load as much as as much as we can. Yeah, the key one that um, we taking uh, is the session RPE uh, times duration and we put that into Google Forms so then that's that's a fantastic log uh, and then you can make some really quick and basic calculations to see how your load is increasing uh, throughout the camp you want that kind of you want that variation uh, not only to make sure that you're not overtraining not getting injuries but making sure that you're being progressive and you're progressively overloading and stressing the body so it creates that adaptation and that's not only from a running perspective, but also a boxing perspective as well. And a lot of people ask questions about the taper and how do you know that you're tapering effectively if you don't know what load you're starting from originally? So mm. like, as, as you say, if you're not assessing, you're guessing, aren't you? Absolutely. We've, we've, we've got a, a quick question from uh, Dorney that is asking about uh, resistance just bought some resistance bands so thanks very much and she's asking whether we've got a basic routine to follow uh if you've just bought some resistance bands they are in the purse right now i've been waiting on amazon to send me some envelopes because i've run out of envelopes to send them out you know we're not amazon itself we haven't got a massive factory we're literally running out of my flat at the moment uh so thanks very much for buying the bo uh, boxing science mini bands um for routine, uh, go and put in uh, Boxing Science mini bands on YouTube and I put out uh, a few different workouts, uh, lower body, upper body, and then just a massive montage of upper body and lower body exercises, mini bands. Did that in an afternoon um, during lockdown to, to try and get it to the top of YouTube. And like it started off and got about 500 views and I'm like thinking, oh, that will waste an afternoon. And then when I've gone back on to try and get some, try and get some exercises together um, and gone on and it's like got 25,000 views because people search mini bands workout or whatever. And we're getting up, up there. So it's definitely, definitely an afternoon well spent. And it's a, it's a good video montage. So if anybody's wanting any more exercises to do with the mini bands, go and check that video out. But question about um, how do you organize anaerobic and aerobic capacity training, uh, same week or different phases? Oh, good question. Um, so we tend to use block periodization 
most of the time. So we focus on one aspect of training. So if we're focusing on improving central adaptations in the cardiovascular system, we'll tend to, to focus on that and not do what you would think is a lot of anaerobic work in there. Yeah. Um, so we, we tend not to, to mix and match too much. However, some of the red zone running sessions do have a hybrid and, mm. do, uh, and, and you do mix and match in there. Although I wouldn't necessarily class uh, all the red zone runs or majority of them as truly anaerobic. I, mm. I, 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 would, I would say if you get into the, if you get in a two minute interval in, in like a muscle buffer session, um, then that is probably the upper upper limit of of anaerobic, which we would yeah. go. So we don't we don't, and then you know dropping down into speed endurance training, um, and then sprint interval training. That's probably where I would define anaerobic for our particular training system. Mm. Um, but we tend to look at them in different phases, um, rather than um, trying to mix mix them because. We want to know whether a particular type of training is effective for an yeah. athlete. And if you're mixing and matching, you don't really know what's causing the changes. And so then you can't yeah. make adjustments to the, to the program next time. Um, so I'd love to give you a really fancy conjugate periodized Soviet Russia yeah. um, example, but yeah i think i think from 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 my point of view um i think that it's the the old s and c saying it depends <laughs> it depends on the individual individual situation so an example at the minute i'm working with uh jordan gill he's doing some thirty second max out sprints on the air bike have you seen that video that i've posted oh yeah no no Oh, it's a, it's a good one. Uh, he hadn't done it in about a year or so, 30 second max out sprints. So, yeah, that, that was an enjoyable session for him. He was in the dark place. In the dark was zone. that today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, put him, I, f I forgot the lactate strip, so I weren't able to get his lactate. But he was just like, literally, he was just like, couldn't like flex his leg or anything like that. So we really pushed him hard. But for, for me, after this like four-week block, um, he's going to be doing some high intensity running so I need to make sure that he's in a good place to do that kind of running like normally I'd just do all, all curve but because we haven't got access to the curve we're doing it on the air bike then when we go from week four of this and then going to a muscle buffering phase he's then gone boom shock to the system then he's got to do, do some aerobic running well obviously on aerobic running but you know he's going to be in the red zone he's going to be doing um you know high load high running loads and it's just managing that that transition like we did with the 30 second max out sprints yeah. last week when we were doing 20 second sprints when we we're doing the kind of hybrid circuits that we couldn't put a name on it so it's yeah. you know you've got a you you know yeah you've got to be solely focus on on the physiological adaptation but you've got to look at the big picture of what's happening within that next kind of training block but what you've got to prepare your athlete for yeah, um, you've got you've got to create a bridge haven't you you've got yeah. to make sure that bridge is there yeah uh we've got some questions in the comment box which i'm which i've seen james kelly 99 uh what do you and alan do for cpd to keep advancements in snc and any particular sources you'd recommend so a fantastic uh resource is obviously the boxing science membership but um the ukca iq um is like netflix for strength and conditioning uh, they've got all the videos from all the previous conferences you've got some of the biggest names in strength and conditioning if you want to go and learn more uh about snc and about the current trends definitely get on that ukca i think that Obviously, I'm an accredited member, so I've got access to it. I think you only need to be an associate member, and I think it's about 60 quid a year, which is unbelievable when you think of it. It's about £5 a month for 
I think they've got hundreds of workshops on there. Um, Alan, what 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 do you think? What what are the main journals that you keep keep on top of? Likewise, the British Association of Sport and Exercise Sciences also has a library. Um, so if you become a member of Bases and get access to all the content from conferences and, and workshops. And um, if you want to attend one of the, the CPD workshops that Basie's put on, it's a fiver for, for non-members. Um, and then it's free for members. So again, another, another good resource if you're interested more in sports science rather than strength and conditioning. So in terms of everywhere from biomechanics, psychology, physiology, nutrition, um, and sport performance as well. One thing that I do is I have a list on Twitter of professors. So the, the list is called profs. So instead of just scrolling down on my Twitter feed, just looking at random stuff, I just go, you know, if I'm, if I'm, look, if I'm in that mood, I just go straight to my professor feed. And mm. of those 20, 25 professors that I'm, I'm following, I get either their work or um, retweets of theirs, and I can go on and, and have a look at have a look at that. Um, I have um, alerts set up for table of contents for mm. journals. So for Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research, for Journal of Physiology, European Journal of Applied Physiology, uh, Journal of Sports Sciences, the list goes on. You can sign up mm. for free table of contents alerts. Um, most authors nowadays um, deposit their research in um, a place where it's openly accessible in, it, in its final accepted format. So if you see an article um, that you're interested in, you can mm. even try and find it that way or just email the corresponding author. Authors love it if they get an email request and you can just send it. Of course, I'll send on your paper. Um, yeah. all, all of um, the research that I do um, I host on ResearchGate so if you want if you're interested in any, any of the stuff um, around like boxing and, and strength and conditioning you can get um, any of the work that we've done or anything you know, anything else is on, is on ResearchGate so if you just google ResearchGate Alan Ruddock you'll find my mm. profile so that's table of contents alerts, and you can set up alerts in databases as well. So you, you uh, people might have come across um, PubMed, which is the U.S. Um, library's scientific um, journal database. So you can set up alerts for key terms. So you might set mm. up an alert for high intensity interval training, set your frequency, and then every week it will then send you a list of. Um, Journal uh, articles that have been published that week relating to high intensity interval training, and then finally the other thing that I've that I've got is a Google Scholar profile. So when I'm searching for um, articles in Google Scholar, when I'm logged in as me, it keeps a note of what I'm searching for and the papers that I'm reading, and then it gives me recommendations for articles next time I go on. And it also matches the the research that I've published as as well to my interests. So that's 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 the way that um, that I do it in terms of um, try to keep on top of things. But to be honest, there's so much there's so there's so much research coming out every week. It's hard to stay on top. So a good way to to try and get a global view of the current state of affairs in whatever you're interested in is to look for a systematic review or something called a, a meta-analysis. So if that is in the title of the research, or even if you Google in something, Google um, boxing um, systematic mm. review or boxing review, you'll get an overall uh, global picture of the, the state of physiology and strength and conditioning for boxing right now, if you do that. People have, haven't got an excuse to go out and learn now. They've got they've got all the information there. That's what exactly where you need to go and learn. Um, Andy Badbe, sorry if I've uh, said your name wrong. Um, do you identify a physical profile, i.e., what aspects of performance do you test and therefore train? 
So basically what is our uh, testing battery, uh, what we run at Boxing Science. So I'll talk about like kind of the strength and, and the movement and then we'll pass over to you for the, the physiology. Um, so we start off with a basic overhead squat assessment. Uh, we could do a full FMS, uh, but we can, uh, like we we're talking a little bit earlier, if you've been on the live for quite a while, you've got to, you've got to kind of set, do what you can to try and limit the amount of data that you're actually, what you're actually collecting. So an overhead squat, I'd be able to say which hip is tight, whether the core is unstable, whether they're tight around the shoulders, if there's a discrepancy between left and right, and also do a single leg squat to stand that tells us a lot about the imbalances of the lower body and the trunk as well. So I can just simply do it in, in two tests. And then if I need to go in and look a little bit further, let's say if they've got an injury or something like that, then I'd use some sort of like kind of FMS testing. But you could you can generally find out um, what kind of movement implications they have just from them two tests. And there is like guidelines on that online. So if you just like Google it, um, I forgot the but NASM uh, awesome, movement yeah. correction. Um, we we follow we follow that uh, to say what's tight, what's what's possibly weak and underactive as well. Uh, so we 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 cover that um, for strength assessments. We do a load velocity profile using a trap bar deadlift. Uh, for some of our more uh, experienced strength trainers, we do a load velocity profile on a bench press throw and a back squat. But generally, if somebody's coming in for the first time, we can get a good idea of their load velocity profile with the trap bar deadlift, uh, working from around about 50% estimated one rep max up to 95, uh, between 90 and 95% one rep max. Uh, we also got a jump assessment. So we'll do a camp movement jump and squat jump. And then we'll do a, a, a 15 second um, repeated pogo test to test uh, reactive strength index. Then we do the landmine punch protocol or we'll do the, uh, the medicine ball punch throw to assess uh, estimated punch force and punch speed. And then we go and into the lab uh, where we do our physiological assessments. Alan's, this way Alan takes over. <laughs> but, uh, but before that, all that, they have a nap and they have a rest. <laughs> they, oh, yeah. Well, the, the, uh, we, do, we do so much. But the, the, yeah. important, the important point to make is that all that information is used in the profile. If it's a yeah. benchmark against um, other, other boxes of similar standards or boxes in general, um, and then to create... Um, tools to prescribe training as well so it's all useful information none of it is wasted so we're very very economical so it sounds like there's a lot in terms of strength assessments but all that information gets used to build the profile we're not taking any data that we're not really using um, then in terms of physiology testing we'll do a lactate profile um, three minutes of running one minute of recovery um, where we take a lactate sample, we've got heart rate running continuously, we take a, an assessment of rate of perceived exertion, and then we'll carry on another three minutes at a higher speed, and we'll keep increasing the speed, keep taking a lactate sample, until we see blood lactate increasing exponentially, which gives us an indication that a domain of, of exercises has shifted to uh, a more... Uh, uh, demanding domain and we'll cut the test there the good thing about a lactate profile is that it gives us the ability to set training zones so when we need to prescribe uh, recovery runs we have um, a heart rate or a running speed that we can assign to recovery so we can say go do 30 minutes at this heart rate no higher <coughs> um, we, during that test as well, we're also um, using a gas analyzer uh, and we're, we're interested in carbon dioxide production, oxygen uptake, 
and we can look at um, the fuel that our boxer is using at a particular speed. So not only we can say, okay, go on a recovery run, we can also say, okay, now we know how much energy you're using at that particular speed, and we can get an, a, a better picture of uh, energy expenditure rather than just guessing based upon speed heart rate equations or, or other equations we're just getting a little bit more specific and not only mm. that we can look at the type of fuel that has been mm. using so we can see whether an athlete is more um, carbohydrate dominant or prefers to use fat as a fuel source and that also plays into our understanding of what type of athlete is in front of us are they a more high intensity type athlete or are they a more endurance type athlete and after that believe it or not <laughs> we do the hardest test um that we do and usually that is a uh, 30 15 intermittent treadmill test excuse me <clears throat> so that's 30 seconds of running 15 seconds recovery um Starting fairly light, um, with, eight with kilometers kind of, an hour, eight kilometers per hour. Some other athletes we start a little bit quicker, okay. um, but <clears throat> eight kilometers per hour, 30 seconds, jump off, move on to 8.5, and that speed then increases by half a kilometer per hour until the athlete can do no more or thinks they can do no more until yeah. they go, No more, no more, and I go, mm. One more, one more, yeah. Absolutely, love uh, that test because it does. You can really see somebody's mentality, and the the most impressive that I've seen, like, is not the one that runs the fastest, but the one that it, that outdoes my estimation. Because so what yeah. I'll do, I'll come up to Alan and I'll just go, "This spot they're going to hit," and I'm normally about one or two out. And then, because you can see from the heart rate, you know, when they're getting up to about 95% maximum heart rate or uh, about 90% maximum heart rate, you can see how many levels you think that they've, they've got left in them. So I'll come up to Alan and say something. And then this, uh, this one box at one time just showed absolutely great determination, went about six different levels above. And I'm just like, <laughs> that, was, that was amazing. I thought you were going to be done by X yeah. amount. The best ones so, are where they're just hanging off the, the treadmill. Yeah. Um, and they're just literally on, on the edge of the, the, the treadmill and they're still hanging in there somehow. I don't know yeah. how. Because they wear a harness as well, yeah. which, is a, a, attached, which is attached to the treadmill. So if they do trip, then it just cuts out the, the, the treadmill um, so they don't scrape the face mm. on, the, on the belt. But like <laughs> you can see, it's just like holding them in place, holding them in place, not quite tripping out yet but yeah so it gives us an in indication of the uh, ability to perform repeatedly at high intensities especially when you're getting 20 kilometers per hour plus but high it also gives, high speeds yeah and it also gives you uh, an indication of mentality as well and where an athlete is is going to go to are they going to go to that dark place where they think they can't yeah. do anymore and then still all i want to see is just one more step yeah. on the treadmill and if they can Show go that mentality yeah and if they go i can't do any more i can't do any more and you just go one more step and they start the next rep usually they'll get out five or six steps in which yeah. case it's a, it's a win because technically you can't even do one step on the next yeah. rep but it's just having that mentality to push on yeah and it's it's giving them that that 30 15 is just like such motivation for them because they know what the peak speed is they know what they've got to hit and they know what that what how deep that they've got to dig to be to be able to beat the last score and that and when you beat that score and then you then what I said to him after say you know what I'm not even bothered about kind of what your peak speed were because I want to see I, I yeah. want to see what, what your heart rate response is at different at different intensities that's the most important that's what shows how fit you are. It's that mentality that takes you on to them different peak speeds. So yeah. then they then they probably have a moment at me after thinking <laughs> they really need to need to dig that deep. But the, um, yeah, uh, the last uh, thirty fifteen that we did at the university before the lockdown was Vlad uh, Matei when he hit twenty three point mm. five three times, and then I had the videos 
side by side, not just the heart rates, but I've got the video side by side of how he was reacting after uh, at 23.5 uh, when he would do it. I think he did it twice uh, the year before and he was like, like that. <laughs> and then he did it three times on 23.5 um, kilometers per hour. And he was like, he was counting down three, two, one, and then just got off it and just like effortless. I'm like going, you didn't shape your life, you know, last, this time last year. you were, Yeah, it was great that I could do that. Yeah. But now you're comfortable in doing it, which is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, being comfortable, with, uh, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. One of the times, like, he, he, he did it, and then he got, he got off the treadmill, didn't he? And, like, yeah. to lay down. And we were like, Vlad, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Get back up, get back on. You still got, yeah, yeah. still got some more to do. So he just, he was lying on the floor like, like this after about five, five or six seconds, and he just got back on the treadmill and then, and then did another, another rep. Good on him. If if people don't have access to the treadmill speed like that like we have, like we've like we just mentioned, um, going up to twenty four, twenty five. That's on high speed treadmill. Twenty three point five is on techno. Is no, it's life fitness treadmill, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah. some treadmills go up to there, but most treadmills only go up to twenty kilometers an hour. What can people do if they if they don't have access to that? Um, so once you reach the the top speed, you can then either keep repeating that top speed, or mm. you can increase the gradient from that point on. Yeah. Um, keep going. And 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 keep going. So go from one percent to two percent, and then three, four. And just, and just keep going and see what gradient you hit. Um, you just got to be careful with some treadmills because they can't, um, the motors can't cope with the increase in gradient, in gradient. and then the, and the subsequent force that you're putting through the treadmill. So they, they kind of just cut out and it ruins everything. <laughs> and yeah. you'll leave the gym in a bad mood. Um, so just be wary of that. Yeah, but like I said, if, you, if you're taking down the heart rate after each interval, after each 30 second interval, um, have that logged and recorded mm. every time you do it, and then you get a good bit. You could get a good assessment of somebody's fitness. Yeah, so you can you can because it's a fixed intensity because it's always if you're using the same treadmill, it should be similar type of speed. It it will always be fourteen kilometers per hour. It will always be fifteen kilometers per hour. And so if your heart rate is lower at those intensities. You know, subsequent intensities, then you could make an, uh, a fairly good assumption that your athlete has improved their cardiovascular fitness because mm. the demand on heart rate is less. There's other things you've got to take into account, like obvious one is, is temperature in the room. Mm. So try and make sure temperature is consistent. Otherwise, heart yeah. rate will be elevated because um, the requirement for, for skin blood flow is elevated yeah. as well, which puts a demand on don't the heart do it. rate. Don't do it in a sweatsuit. <laughs> yeah, don't do it in a sweatsuit one time and then another. Although, if you do it, yeah, just don't do it. Just control the temperature <laughs> of the room. Exactly, exactly. Right, we've we've done a good hour there. That's kind of flown by, really. Uh, had some brilliant questions. Um, sorry if we haven't been able to answer them all. Um, if you've only just joined and you want to find out more about what we've been talking about, this will be on the profile um, on Instagram TV. Uh, so flick through that. We've covered a range of different subjects from uh, testing to, to creatine to aerobic and anaerobic training to uh, crunches and Kit Kat chunkies. So we've, we've, we've covered it all within an hour. I'd just like to finish um, with a, a proposition. Okay. A... a um... I'm getting excited a, for this one. A, a peanut butter chunky Kit Kat is the only thing that gets close to a crunchy in terms of mm. Kit Kat flavours. I thought you were going to come up with another one like Dairy Milk or Galaxy or something like well, that. I don't know. I, what else I, didn't know I didn't know that wasn't a proposition. That was just a, a statement, really. <laughs> yeah. This, well, yeah. True or false? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> true or false. You know what? I, I don't think I've ever had peanut butter uh, Kit Kat. Chunker. No. 
Do you like peanut butter and chocolate? Reese's. Reese's chocolates, peanut butter cups. No, not having that. Right, I'm going to get off now because we're going to be (laughs) here blabbering on all day. Well, thanks for your time out as as normal. I think this Cheers, go, this uh, goes smoother than the podcast in terms of setups. Yeah, it's gone a bit easier, isn't it? And it? And it's good to get people involved, asking different questions and everything. So definitely, we'll be doing it again soon. I think. Yeah, thank you for your questions, everyone, and you know, joining us and um, you know, spending your your time and an evening listening to us ramble on about all sorts everything. of stuff. Yeah, and just add on that. It's not only going to be on Instagram TV, but it's going to be on the podcast as well. And now we're going to do the awkward Zoom bye, where we say it bye about five times, five or ten times. Or shall bye. we just say, say see you, mate. Bye. See you, mate. So that brings us to the end of this podcast episode. Thanks very much for listening. If you have any questions or the topics raised, please contact us either through our Instagram channels Wilson underscore Boxing Science or the Boxing Science Instagram channel or you can send me an email direct dannywilson at boxingscience.co.uk If you're not a subscriber to the podcast yet please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future episodes and if you could spend one to two minutes of your time to just give us a rating hopefully a five star review and give us some feedback on what you've thought of the podcast so far, uh, some of the topics that we've raised in previous episodes and if you want to make a suggestion and topics that you want us to cover or guests that we want on the podcast, please leave that as well. Okay guys, hopefully see you on the next episode.